from Michigan Radio. This is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. Lawmakers in Lansing spent this week working on the state's budget. With Democrats in the majority and remaining federal relief dollars, spending bills look different than in previous years. And Republicans are not happy. This was not negotiated. There was no input with Republicans on it. We'll get an update on where things are in budget negotiations in Michigan. But first, negotiations continue over the nation's debt ceiling. Without an increase, the United States would be unable to pay its bills. The so-called X date is predicted to be June 1st. Now, a new report this week from Moody's Analytics says Michigan could be one of the hardest hit states if the debt ceiling fight continues past that June date. Adam Kamins is senior director at Moody's and helped write that report. Hey, Adam. Hi, nice to talk to you. So good to have you here. So I feel like we've heard it a lot, but it bears repeating. So quickly, just remind us why the debt ceiling matters. Sure. The debt ceiling is a mechanism in place that if the federal government eventually reaches a certain amount of debt that it owes, that it no longer can pay those bills. It basically runs out of money without authorization from Congress. And if that happens, right, what we start to get are these ripple effects throughout the economy. So you get first a disruption to payments for things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, potential impacts on federal government workers, on federal contracts. And eventually it could get to the point even where the U.S. starts risking defaulting on obligations like, you know, paying back bondholders who buy U.S. Treasury bills. If that happens, or if we even get close to that happening, that potentially triggers a global financial crisis and a very severe recession. And we should note that it's never not been increased before. So we don't actually have examples of this so-called disaster that could happen because it's just never happened before. That's right. We've come closer to the brink over the past decade a few times uh, under the Obama administration in particular. Uh, There were some scares, but we are almost certainly now on the verge of getting closer to the abyss than we've ever gotten before. So you talk quickly about what would happen globally to the economy, but this report looked specifically as well at states in the U.S. So let's turn to Michigan. What did you find? So what we found was that the recession that would come out of a, a breach of the debt ceiling really would happen in a couple of phases. The first phase would be the second half of this year. And that would revolve around the financial market shock, the fact that the federal government would would be interrupted in terms of paying its bills, paying contractors. And that's really concentrated around areas that depend heavily on the federal government, DC, Virginia, that sort of thing. It's the second phase of the ensuing recession where Michigan gets hit really hard. And that second phase is when uh, the federal government, they, they come to some sort of agreement around the debt ceiling, Federal contractors are are being paid again. But at that point, we've seen such a a deep recession take hold that kind of the quote unquote normal cyclical effects begin to take place. And Michigan, historically, when the U.S. has gone into recession, Michigan has experienced a much deeper recession uh, than the U.S. US has. That largely is a function of its reliance on highly cyclical industries, in particular auto manufacturing, that tends to get hit very, very hard when the U.S. economy goes into recession. And we're talking about a very severe recession in this case where the the, the interruption to payments to consumers, the, the shock to the financial system, the really steep decline in all likelihood and in, in stock prices and in wealth effects, 
mean that the auto industry and some of the related manufacturing industries in Michigan get hit very, very hard. And that 2024 really becomes a brutal year for Michigan. And it takes until really unemployment rises until the end of 2024 and then only gradually begins to uh, approach normalcy by the middle of the decade. There's often been this saying about Michigan that when the U.S. economy sneezes, Michigan catches a cold. You found that what unemployment rate could go up to double digits in Michigan if this prolonged debt ceiling fight continued past June? That's right. And just to be clear, right, the, the more severe recessions that we've experienced, including the last two, right, the Great Recession, and the COVID recession, uh, that also happened. So we're talking about an unemployment rate that looks more like the Great Recession than the COVID recession when it, you know, temporarily went above 20%. We're talking more the 10 to 15% range, but in all likelihood, a, a, a elongated recovery, something that looks more like the Great Recession and even maybe a little bit more prolonged in terms of the recovery from that unemployment rate peak, because this will give rise to such profound weakness in the economy that, that Michigan's going to need some time to kind of get back on its feet and recover. Adam, how do you see this playing out, you know, now 20 days from June 1st? Sure. So yeah, as you said, I'm, I'm an economist. I'm not a political science expert by any means. But the most likely outcome, I think, is that investors, financial markets are going to start to get increasingly nervous as we come to the end of this month. And by, the, by early June is when the so-called X date is, when the Treasury runs out of money. As that gets closer and closer, I think there's going to be enough anxiety that they are, I don't think they're going to come to some sort of, uh, you know, grand agreement, or I guess, kind of grand bargain that was talked about last decade. I think what will likely happen is that they're going to kick the can down the road. I think I think Biden McCarthy will work out some sort of compromise where we punt this until the fall. Uh, in the fall, they could actually then tie the debt ceiling conversations to the annual budget conversations, make you know a handful of concessions around next year's budget mm-hmm. as opposed to what currently is being asked, which is essentially to rescind most of uh, the Biden administration's signature achievements. That There's no way that's happening. Uh, I, I think that's where we end up. And then, unfortunately, we're probably having this conversation again in September. But I, I think maybe the fact that we've at least seen you know, some precedent for them coming to some way to, to avoid the worst case scenario provides a little bit of reassurance that they can get something done. And maybe there's a little bit more wiggle room to both declare victory uh, in the fall. That's Adam Kamen, Senior Director of Moody's Analytics, helped to write a report this week about the debt ceiling impact, particularly on the state of Michigan. Adam, thanks so much for your time. Of course. My pleasure, sir. Let's turn to the state budget now. Lawmakers in Lansing are moving on massive budget bills. It's just politics co-host Rick Pluta and Bridge Michigan's Jonathan Osting have been covering the votes. Hello, you two. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Jonathan, um, if you're not a you or a Rick, meaning you're not literally following every single vote happening every single day in both chambers, can you just put where we are right now in the budget process into context? Yeah, sure. So Governor Whitmer proposed her own budget in February, and now lawmakers have spent a couple months craft, 
protecting their own. Uh, this week, the House and Senate both approved, I think it's something like 17 different budget bills each that combined amount to a total state budget now approved by each chamber. So at this point now, uh, you know, there's further negotiations to happen. Essentially, there's some differences, you know, not a ton between the Democratic led legislature and the Democratic governor, but some differences. Um, so they all need to sit down, uh, iron out some differences, perhaps even consider a couple uh, ideas from Republicans. Um, they are going to need some support in the Senate to pass a budget uh, that has immediate effect. So folks I've talked to suggest that the governor would like to get this done pretty soon. But there's a lot of thought that this will probably go into June at least uh, before we have a final budget. Um, that said, that's still you know, quite early. Lawmakers have until October 1, uh, the start of the next fiscal year, to actually get a budget done. So this is a part of a process, as Jonathan, you've just explained, right? Happens every single year. The difference, of course, though, Rick, is that for the first time in 40 years, Democrats are running the process, albeit with a very slim majority. Which which gets to the immediate effect supermajority issue that so uh, Jonathan that. was just talking about. Well, immediate effect Basically, it says that when a law is adopted, if it has an enactment date, like the beginning of a fiscal year, that the law needs to be a law. It can't wait until, you know, the end of the session for it to become officially enforceable. And that's where Republicans have a lot of clout in this process, because they can tell Democrats and the governor, you don't have a budget if we don't give you this procedural vote. So that's what they've got hanging over this. Although in this first round, you know, when we looked at all the amendments that were put up by Republicans, I think, Jonathan, check me on this, but I, I think all of them, maybe with one exception, they were all rejected. Do I have that right? In the Senate, they were all rejected. It was over 100 amendments there. In the House, I, I'm not sure if any were adopted, but again, it was, I think, uh, 98 or 99 were expected to be proposed amendments by Republicans. And the vast, vast majority of those, mm -hmm. if not all of them, were shot down as well. And it makes me think of that iconic scene in the first and better Willy Wonka movie where Gene Wilder goes, you get nothing, nothing. And that means that, you know, first of all, there's nothing for Republicans to vote for to to negotiate to keep in the budget. So they're starting from zero. And Democrats have basically drawn the boundaries around this first stage of budget bargaining. Jonathan, what are we hearing from Senate Republican leader Eric Nesbitt and House Republican leader Matt Hall? Well, so Nesbitt in particular, you know, the Senate is kind of a big key here because of that immediate effect issue Rick and I have both talked about. Um, that's the, the House doesn't actually take a roll call vote on immediate effect. Um, so it's not really an issue there. So the Senate is where really things could get gummed up if Republicans want to gum it up. That said, um, Senate Minority Leader Arik Nesbitt on Thursday said at this point, He's not discussing the possibility, at least not publicly. You know, he's not trying to make a public threat anyways 
that they will use that immediate effect uh, tool as leverage. He is, of course, optimistic that, uh, you know, they can still find some grounds to, uh, you know, negotiate some Republican priorities into this um, budget before it it reaches that point. Um, I will note, you know, rejecting amendments on the floor, that's really nothing new. I mean, typically, um, if Republicans or the minority party are going to influence a budget, that might happen in the committee process or even before uh, that when budgets are introduced. So a lot of the amendments you see happen on the floor during these debates are symbolic. It's Republicans, in this case, uh, making a point, you know, these are things we care about. These are things we would like to see, even though we know they are not going to be in the budget mm -hmm. at this point. I don't think Republicans expected any of those amendments to get adopted either. But now Democratic leaders can also say when they're bargaining on these process votes, maybe for you know more support for other aspects of the budget, you asked for this, you put up an amendment proposal for this. If you want it, you know, what are you willing to give us? That's Rick Pluto with the Michigan Public Radio Network, also joined by Jonathan Osting with Bridge Michigan. So, Jonathan, we often say that a budget is really, you know, a document of priorities and values. What do these budgets that have now been passed in both chambers tell us? Yeah, well, they're certainly, um, you know, different than Republican budgets we've seen before. I mean, uh, both parties have traditionally made a big point to to approve record education funding, at least in the last decade or so. Uh, and that's the case again. But there's some, you know, different ways to go about that, for instance. So Democrats this year are proposing even more of a um, sort of sliding scale on funding where students who uh, might, you know, cost more to or, or might have more educational needs get a little more funding. So more funding for at-risk students or special ed students. That's a push Democrats have been making for years, but they're going further in that direction. Um, but then there's some stuff too, like, um, you know, funding for electric school buses, you know, a push to um, sort of, uh, you know, add some environmental consciousness into budgets like this. Um, I'll stick with the school aid budget because it's perhaps the the biggest um, the big the biggest budget here. Um, there's also uh, Democrats, for instance, want to um, give uh, free lunches to everybody, to all students, make that widely available. Now, Republicans will say, well, you know, uh, millionaires don't deserve uh, free lunches. This is a waste of money. But experts will tell you that typically there's less stigma associated if you make it uh, available to everybody. And Democrats argue, you know, I don't know a ton of billionaires who send their kids to public schools anyways. <laughs> so, um, But you can certainly see some more uh, progressive ideas making their way into this budget uh, than they have in years past uh, under Republican control, of course. Mm -hmm. I, I just as Jonathan just alluded to, that this at-risk funding is um, a big, you know, is is a big difference. Uh, typically, that uh, the kind of assistance you give to urban school districts versus rural school districts, and uh, I, I think rural assistance is one of the rural school school district assistance is one of those cases where maybe uh, Democrats and Republicans can find some, um, you know, some common ground and do some deal making there. 
So again, we talked about the fact that, you know, the state's fiscal year doesn't end till the end of September. But there are reasons that folks want to get the budget done much sooner than that. One is a July first sort of pseudo deadline, which is it's really nice for schools and universities to know what their budgets are going to be when those schools and universities fiscal years begin. Right. On July 1st and also local governments. And so there's always this, you know, sort of informal target of, like you said, June 1st, so that those entities know what they're going to get to spend. And I think, you know, the um, Mackinac, the Detroit Regional Chambers Mackinac Policy Conference is coming up. And um, that is a big deal in political circles because it tends to attract, you know, Michigan's political leaders. And I think that uh, Governor Whitmer would probably like to have some budget bills to bring up to Mackinac so that uh, she could sign them uh, there and show some bipartisan solidarity and some success to the state's business and uh, not-for-profit leaders. Jonathan, in the next 30 seconds or so we have left, what are you going to be watching for in this process over the next few weeks? Um, You know, I've been following with some particular interest the road funding question, right? Governor Whitmer promised to fix them roads, but her budget didn't actually include much money for local roads. Both the House and Senate are putting more money in for local roads, but they're doing so in a way that would be based on population benefiting larger uh, urban centers that traditionally uh, are a little, um, you know, slighted in in the traditional funding model, which also includes lane miles. So rural roads like in the UP get a lot more money than than maybe they need on a per driver basis. So some interesting discussions there. Okay. That is Jonathan Osting, Capital Reporter at Bridge, Michigan, and Rick Pluta, Senior Capital Correspondent at the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thank you both so much for watching all of these budget votes and uh, for the time today. Thank you. Thank you. And that is It's Just Politics for today. As always, if you are looking for more political news, head over to wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the It's Just Politics podcast. I am Zoe Clark. Hey, enjoy this beautiful weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there, including my own. Let's talk again next week.